You're listening to Dental Talk from VivaLearning.com. Thanks for joining us for this Viva podcast. Today we'll be discussing adhesive and looting materials for successful and long-lasting hybrid composite restoration. Our guest is Dr. Samuel Corey, a dentist in private practice in Fort Wayne, Indiana, specializing in high-tech and cosmetic dentistry for over 25 years. Dr. Corey is a recurring guest on a local television show called Docs on Call to answer questions and educate the community about dentistry. Dr. Corey, it's a pleasure to have you back on the show. Thanks for having me back, Phil. So um, for those of our listeners who didn't listen to the uh, first podcast that Dr. Corey did on material class, you can feel free to tap into that one. It's called Composite Hybrid CAD-CAM Materials Material Class, and he talks about the different kinds of hybrid materials and their applications and the benefits, and he even talks about some of the things that he likes about the product that he uses, which which I believe he mentioned was Brilliant Creos. Um, for this one, we're going to be talking about adhesion and looting, and... Um, so let me ask you this. How important is the choice of adhesive and looting material with a hybrid composite restoration? Uh, that's a loaded question, Phil. I mean, that, that can take four segments to try to explain, you know, how important adhesive, uh, you know, chemistry is when you're doing, you know, direct or actually indirect restorations. I mean, as you know, um, 90% of composite failures is due to recurrent decay, and that's where it breaks down at that gingival margin area where we're trying to bond the dent, and that is the, the critical part. You know, we've known for, since the 50s, we've known that if you acid etch with a phosphoric acid enamel, we can clinically reproduce that, that micro technology where we go into the pores and we actually get micro retention and we can bond to enamel very well. The, the trick in all this is actually getting a long-term bond to dent, and, and that's what we've been working on over the last six decades is trying to get a material that can actually give us a long-term bond to dent, and it's tricky, um, but we're getting better with our chemistry. Every generation that comes out uh, keeps getting better. Um, we started out originally with the etch and rinse um, system of, of bonding and, and basically that's when you etch everything and you rinse it away and then you apply your bond. And to this day, um, that is still considered the gold standard of, of bonding and adhesive dentistry. The problem is, is it's very clinically sensitive, technically sensitive, and it's, uh, three steps or more and, 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 and a lot of providers were confused about the steps and exactly how wet you're supposed to leave the dent and, and the whole area of confusion. So the, the whole thing since since the 80s has been trying to simplify the whole adhesive procedure. And, you know, we've got it down now to, if you're looking at um, eighth generation or universal multi-mode is what they call the universal um, generation of adhesives where it's almost it's a single step or a single bottle, maybe multi-step, depending on, um, you know, what what do you want? If you want a total etch, if you want a selective etch, um, if you just want a self-etch, you know. So there there is a lot to learn um, when you're talking about bonding. Like I said, we can spend hours talking about a fill, but it's it's very critical um, to be successful with hybrid um, CAD-CAM 
locks and, and any type of composite dentistry, any, any actually any aesthetic dentistry, it's critical to know what you're doing when it comes to adhesion. So it's a matter of, you know, technique sensitivity versus um, simplification and so forth. So as far as your inventory, do you, are you using the latest and the greatest? Because some of the podcasts that I've done, some of the KOLs that have been on have been very fond of fourth generation systems. Yeah. Like I said, yeah, the fourth generation is still the gold standard. Um, and, and yeah, we still use fourth generation if we're predominantly um, bonding to enamel and, and we're not doing a lot of um, dentin bonding. Um, if we, because here, here's the thing, Phil, with fourth generation mm-hmm. is, you know, you have that smear layer that you leave when you cut into a tooth. Right. And to be able to penetrate that, so you can actually bond to the collagen and the network underneath in the dentin. Um, you need to either etch that and rinse it, which if you rinse it, all of that goes away. You're just basically all you have are clean dental tubules to bond to. Mm-hmm. And to be successful with that, you need to use um, the adhesive has different functional monomers in there. You have hydrophilic monomers and you have hydrophobic monomers. So you, dentin is a live organic substance that's about um, 40% or 50% um, uh, organic and about 20% water. So it's a humid material. So if you try to put a hydrophobic monomer on that, which is what we use to bond the composite, um, it won't be successful because it won't go down into the dental tubules, which are wet. You know, so you have to use a hydrophilic monomer first and then you coat a hydrophobic monomer on top of that that will bond to the composite. And it's tricky. Um, I talked about the wettability. Like you're not supposed to desiccate the tooth and dry it completely. You're not supposed to leave it over wet. There's that perfect balance with fourth generation etch and rinse systems that, you know, either you get it and you're good at it and you're leaving, um, you're getting long-term durability and you're not leaving a lot of post-op sensitivity with your patients or you don't get it and you're not very good at it and you need to move on to a different product. Mm-hmm. And the different products and the different generations simplify that step with the self-etch, which is getting away from that total etch where you etch dentin with that 35% phosphoric acid. You're just using um, acid that's in the monomer that's in the primer, and you're scrubbing that you know, for 20 or 30 seconds, depending on a product you're using. And what it's doing is, is it's breaking down that smear layer so the actual um, hydrophilic monomer can get down in there and attach, but you're not rinsing it away. So you basically, if you think of it like netting, you know, you have all this smear layer that's pretty much plugged, and it's a layer of inorganic tooth debris. You rub the self-etch on it, you break it down to where it's kind of like a fishnet, like netting that stays attached to the tooth, and then you put your monomer your resin into that and it flows into there and it bonds to it. And that's what's giving you your, your micro attachment to dentin. And that's what the later generations are doing. And they're easier to use or less time consuming. Um, you know, uh, your assistants have less uh, bottles to keep track of, of mixing one drop of this or one drop of that, you know, so the whole, the whole point is trying to simplify the procedure, but not giving away um, the longevity that you need. Right, right. And my guess is, you know, the um, the corner dentist that's out there, busy, trying to make a living, trying to run his practice, 
is probably going to go with a, the simple or single step process. Exactly. Just the nature of dentistry. So, you know, like not all dentists are created equal, not our practices right. are created equal, but mostly, you know, CAD CAM practices are pretty well equipped at bonding because they've been doing that. It's been, they they were forced to do that mm-hmm. um, when they got into CAD CAM dentistry, you know, but if you're still, if you're still prepping, taking impressions and sending um, products off to the lab and, and you're still, if you're not in the CAD CAM, I would say the majority of your restorations are still going to be crowns, not onlays. Then you're probably still traditionally cementing with, with something like an RMGI or resin modified glass ionomer, mm-hmm. which simplifies everything. So, you know, those practices may not be up to date and they may not be as familiar or comfortable with bonding. And, and like we said earlier, I mean, there is definitely some technique sensitivity to bonding. You have to be good at it to be successful. Yeah, so let's talk about the restoration itself. Do you condition that at all before you go into the uh, adhesive protocol? Yeah, and that's critical um, because you don't want to end up with uh, what happened to 3M with a product they had a few years ago where, where they kept having um, debonding happen to them. You know, So the, you know, the protocol is to either um, chemically etch or mechanically etch, you know, so you can use a hydrofluoric acid for 60 seconds if the product allows you to, and and um, it's clearly stated on whichever hybrid you're using of, uh, you know, what you can do to condition it, you know, whether you should use a chemical etch like hydrofluoric acid or not, you know, if you can't use the chemical etch, then you need to do some type of mechanical etch like sandblasting um, the product, and then once you get the product, where, where you've conditioned it and etched it, then you need to put it in a, a ultrasound bath and get all the oil and debris off of it. And then once you've done that, then you need to you need to silane the, and condition the surface of the hybrid or the ceramic, whatever it is you're doing. And you know, I would say the market share of that is Ivoclar's Monobond Plus. Um, they pr- probably the most popular silane um, out there um, that you need to condition. The, so the the actual um, composite will stick to the hybrid or layer, or you can use them. What we were talking about, the later generations of adhesive fill, like the universal generations. You know, you have the one coat seven at um, Icoltine. Mm-hmm. Um, you have a few others. You have Ivoclar adhesive, um, and those products um, they have the actual um, conditioning agent inside built into the adhesive. So you don't have to do a separate step and condition it with a silane. Right. Now, if, if a company makes the block, like you, you mentioned earlier that you use Coltine's uh, brilliant Creos, is it recommended for you to use their adhesive system or does it matter? It's recommended. It's not necessary. Okay. Um, you know, but yeah, if, if it just makes sense that you would, uh, you know, unless you're married to another product and you just don't want to change. You know, the, the things that you need to to be very aware of is if the adhesive that you're using, um, the acidity of the adhesive that you're using, if it's a self-etch all-in-one, um, sometimes the, the acid levels of the self-etches fill will inhibit a self-cure or dual-cure composite. And then you have to add in an activator to that, you know. And so you have to be fully aware of 
the chemistry, uh, if you're mixing and matching um, products from different manufacturers, just, just do a little homework and be, be aware of what you're mixing and matching and make sure the chemistries all work together. Because if you have uh, a monomer or adhesive that has a high acidity level, then you're breaking down the tertiary amines that are in, in that composite, that dual cure that, that starts a catalytic reaction for that to self-cure. Um, and you got to replace that uh, or it won't cure on its own. So that's why that's what the additive is, the initiator that you would add back in right. um, to make it. You know, so you can do a dual cure or right. self-cure. Right, right. It ensures the dual cure aspect of it. Um, and that right. kind of goes, what you just said kind of fits into my next question, or it answers part of it, which is what are the common pitfalls in bonding, looting, a hybrid composite restoration? Um, any other things you want to tell us about the pitfalls, like what, what could go wrong in the bonding? Yeah, process? I mean, controlling the environment um, is probably the, the, you know, especially if you don't do a lot of bonding, like if you're one of the practices that we were talking about before where, you know, or even if you do, um, if you do a lot of bonding, you know, the, the main pitfall is controlling the environment. And what I mean by that is, you know, you, obviously you don't want um, the gum tissue hemorrhaging. You don't want saliva in there. You know, in, in, in the 80s, uh, we discovered that when you bond to dentin, you actually get something called a hybrid layer. You know, and then we learned in the 2000s, um, with, with self-etch adhesives that not only do you get a hybrid layer, you're also getting this acid-based resistance zone um, that's protecting the tooth and helps sealing that bond so you don't get hydrolysis and you don't get the breakdown of, of that junction where the adhesive meets the dentin. And then if you get any hydrolysis uh, and leakage, and then you get a strep butans that comes in and colonizes the area, and then it breaks down and, and you get esterases that break down um, the bond, you know, and so then that's where you get the failures, you know. So once we learned about the hybrid layer and 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 developing and getting a nice hybrid layer, then that's where we realized we needed to use a hydrophilic monomer to actually penetrate those dentin, dentinal tubules. And that's a great situation, Phil. Um, but here's the negative. Here's the rub. It's a hydrophilic. Um, monomer which likes water that's what hydrophilic means it loves water mm -hmm. um, and so it actually goes into the pores and helps get a, a micro retentive attachment to the den but here's the bad thing it also keeps absorbing water throughout the life of that bond okay and so if you don't get a good control of the environment when you're actually doing this this procedure um, then you know you're going to end up with failures, and 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 that is really the critical part of being successful with adhesive dentistry is just you know try to try to manage know the chemistry that you're working with, try to understand why it works the way it does, and then control that environment, keep it dry, and do what you got to do. Yeah, that, that was an excellent answer, Dr. Corey. And then that kind of feeds into the next question, which which is. When you talk about controlling the environment, how critical is it to follow manufacturers' recommended bonding and looting instructions? Does it make a difference? I guess part of those instructions must mention the environment, right? Oh well, it does, but mostly, I mean, you know, Phil, we, yeah, I've been a mentor and I've been training on CAD/CAM um, for about 17 years now, and, and by doing that, that takes me into um, other offices where I do in-office training. And, you know, it, 
in, in situations like this, what, what we find is, you know, when a manufacturer recommends that you rub or scrub the adhesive on, a, on the tooth for 20 seconds, they mean scrub the tooth for 20 seconds. You know, they don't mean scrub it for 10 and, and then, you know, that's probably good enough, you know, which, which is what we see clinically all the time. You know, and 20 seconds is a lot longer clinically when a patient has their mouth open and you're trying to keep them dry and you're trying to isolate the area and you might think I got to work quicker and do this, but you know, no, these studies were done um, for these products and when they recommend 20 seconds or 30 second scrubs, um, they're not suggesting that. You know, these, these are testing that they've done in vitro tests that show that, you know, if you did a 20 second or 30 second scrub, you're going to get this type of a retentive type of bond, the strength of the bond that you need to be successful in the long term. If you do something less than that, then you're going to fail. You know, so these are not suggestions. Um, these are things that they're telling you that you need to do. Which is great advice because to save 10 seconds in that clinical chair-side procedure and then have the thing fail and come back, you really wished, uh, in hindsight, you spent the extra 10 seconds, right? <laughs> exactly. That's for sure. Um, okay, that was another excellent podcast. You've got a lot of scientific information in your head, Dr. Corey. It sounds like you're a kind of like a biochemist mixed with a uh, expert clinician and, and so forth. So ha having that combination is extremely useful for deciding what kind of materials to use. And um, again, I like to ask the KOL what they use. I think you did mention it. You, it's is it called One Coat for, from Coltine? Is that the product you use in your office? One Coat, yeah, One Coat Seven. Okay, and universal. Right, but they're not. The, the listeners shouldn't be tied into any one particular bonding system, depending on just like what you explained in the last 15 minutes. So it's up to the uh, our dentists out there that are listening to make that decision on their own. Um, and also that block doesn't necessarily mean, the manufacturer of the block, that is, mean that you, you have to use their adhesive system if they have one, as long as you're aware of uh, all the pitfalls and the environment and also the manufacturer's recommendations. Again, thanks again, Dr. Corey, for your insight, and uh, we hope to have you on a, another podcast very shortly. Thank you.